It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. On your Monday episode of Locked on Raptors, the Toronto Raptors take care of business in a preseason game against the Cairns Taipans out of Australia. We'll dig into the big takeaways from the game and why the center depth for this team might actually be a bit of a strength. We'll get into that and so much more on today's show. Thanks for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. going on and welcome to another episode of Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Monday, October the 16th, and I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now, going on 10 seasons on various platforms. You can find all of my stuff over on the website formerly known as Twitter, at WoodleySean is the handle. You can find the show on Locked On Raptors, at Locked On Raptors on Instagram as well, and you can find the show on Discord. we got a lovely little group of listeners, sickos, friends hanging out talking ball 
at the link in the description of the podcast. Come hang out. It's a lovely, lovely place. We had our fantasy draft last night. That was a lot of fun. A great little Lockdown Raptors listener league going on, the winner of which will appear on the podcast at some point near the end of the season. So you have that to look forward to. Uh, But again, just a lovely place, great little community, and it will be the spot to be during games this season. You're going to want to be in there as it's where I'll be dropping most of my thoughts as games are going on. We'll have little live hangouts and chats and stuff like that too. We'd love to see you in there. Come join us before the season starts next week week today's show is brought to you by game time as well down the game time app create an account use the code locked in nba for 20 dollars off your first purchase and we'll have more on them a little bit later on reminder you can also go find the show for free wherever you get your podcasts and on youtube each and every day so you never miss an episode get the little notifications so you get the heads up when an episode's coming out so you get them fresh you can watch the premieres on youtube uh or again you can subscribe on audio never miss an episode as they drop each and every weekday throughout the season And with that, let's get to it on today's show. We're going to dig into all the takeaways from the Toronto Raptors' 134-93 preseason win over the Cairns Taipans of the NBL. Uh, Look, it's a game against an Australian team. Wasn't that sort of rich in terms of things to properly take away? We didn't really get to see anything that will tell us what this Raptors offense looks like against real NBA defenses. We didn't really get to see anything about what this Raptors defense will do against real NBA offenses, but... There are a couple things we can glean from this game, I think, and we'll try to do that. Uh, I want to talk about the center depth, which I actually kind of think could be a sneaky strength of this team. We'll get into uh, the sort of seemingly clear mandate for this team to run like all hell. We'll get into the good, the bad, and the hmm at the end of the show, and we'll wrap it up all tidy in under 30 minutes for you. But let's start off. With the center depth, of course, in last night's game, Jakob Pertl ruled out with illness. Uh, obviously, you're going to be super cautious in the preseason not to overtax guys when they're not feeling so good. Also, you don't want to like spread the plague within your team as well. Uh, so it made sense not to see Jakob Pertl. And Chris Boucher gets the start in Jakob Pertl's place. Not maybe who I expected. Uh, you know, I think we could have seen maybe a look where they go smaller with Scotty Barnes at the five, or maybe you throw Thaddeus Young in as uh, your sort of elbow option who, you know, played a lot in that preseason game against the Kings, kind of operating as almost the understudy of Jakob Pertl. But I think those various options and the play of Chris Boucher in particular in this game are kind of what have me feeling like this team's center depth might actually be a bit of a strength. Of course, you know, they took a bit of a hit, and then we don't know how long that hit will last with Christian Coloco was ruled out for training camp. Uh, obviously, best wishes to him. Hope he's recovering from his respiratory illness um, and whatever's been going on with him over the last few months since Summer League. But even without Christian Coloco, who I do think was probably earmarked for at least 10 minutes of backup action a night for this team, I still think that with a healthy Yaka Pirtle playing 30 minutes a night, the center depth options on this team, while unconventional, are pretty interesting. And I think kind of tap into some of the best that we saw during the full-on Vision 6-9 era, right? I, I think it was always pretty clear that going with these sort of unconventional lineups without a traditional center, where you're just long and rangy and fast at every position... It was never going to be tenable over the course of 82 games, 48 minutes a night, but certainly you can throw teams off kilter, you can throw different looks and get by with unconventional unconventional center options when you have someone soaking up the lion's share of the minutes at that spot. And I think we saw a few different examples of how the Raptors might navigate the minutes without Yakupertle this season, and all of them are kind of interesting in their own way. 
Um, let's first get into Chris Boucher, right? He was really good in this game. He plays 13 minutes. He goes three of six, five, uh, sorry, eight boards, two steals, a plus 15, uh, six of eight from the line as well. And the thing that really pops off the screen when Chris Boucher is in there, especially playing alongside Scotty Barnes, Dennis Schroeder, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi, is this dude runs the floor maybe better than any Toronto Raptors player without the ball in his hands. I think, you know, you'd give the nod to Pascal and to Scotty as sort of orchestrators on the fast break. I don't think you're asking for Chris Boucher to grab and go and make plays on the run necessarily and, and hoping for good results. But the way he runs off of Scotty and Pascal, the way he finds those lanes to the bucket where he can make himself available for a drop-off pass, uh, really impressive. He's just a really you know dogged floor runner. He's going to get out. He's going to beat his, his teammates down there. And when this team, as we'll get into in the next segment, is kind of hitting its transition hunting best, I think Chris Boucher is going to be a really nice option. I, frankly, was a little bit cool on the idea of Chris Boucher coming into the season just because I kind of would prefer to see those bench big minutes go to Precious Achua or Jalen McDaniels or Christian Coloco before he went out. But without Coloco and, you know, with the sort of things Chris Boucher brings to the table, I think there's a pretty clear avenue for him to be a pretty decent and effective role player on this team, kind of like he was back on that 2021-22 team where he was a really key piece in a lot of those lineups that really took the Raptors to new heights down the stretch when they went, you know, what was it, like 34 and 16 or something like that to close the season. They were really good, and Chris Boucher was a big part of that. Obviously, he fits into the defense. He is rangy and long. Darko Ryakovich has talked about his ability to kind of help as, a, as like a help defender and rim protector and whatnot. We know all of this. He had a block on a three last night. That's a thing he does extremely well, as well as basically anybody in the entire NBA, which is very cool. Um, you know, he brings a lot to the table, and I think the things he does best on offense really complement what the Raptors' best players do best on offense as well, right? He, again, runs the floor like a madman, is going to finish off a lot of plays for you, but in the half court, when things are going to get bogged down and there's a noted lack of spacing, yeah, he can kind of stretch out and hit the odd wing three once in a while. I'm not typically like thrilled about the idea of Chris Boucher taking threes, but he can and has done it in the past. Um, I think he's probably closer to like the 31, 32% shooter. He's mostly been in his career outside outside of that one Tampa season where he was at 38, 39%. Um, so he can sort of do that. But where he really kind of makes his bones on offense is as a guy who just kind of seeps into pockets of space around the Raptors ball handlers and he's just so good at cutting and finding little just areas where no one is where he can make himself readily available for a drop-off pass you know the health defense goes and sort of shades towards Scotty or, or Pascal and Boucher's right there to collect those passes out of those actions and I think that's a really valuable thing to have when space is going to be at a premium for this team. Chris Boucher being able to kind of operate in tight confines and find avenues to easy baskets, that is huge. And I think we're going to see him, you know, as a pretty nice piece alongside Barnes or Siakam in particular over the course of this season. And I, and I like the idea of him getting some run with those looks, staggered bench lineups, things like that. And, you know, obviously spot start duty. I think he performed quite admirably in this, in this spot. And then you go to the other backup center options, which got a little bit less run in this game. And look, the first half of this game is really the only thing that matters. Um, we'll get into some of the sort of back of roster contributions from guys in this game, but um, I was really only very keyed in on the sort of, uh, you know, possession by possession in the first half. Um, but I thought 
there were a couple instances of Scotty Barnes playing at the five, and of course the Thad Young at the five, kind of doing the Yakup Pirtle light thing without the rim protection, obviously. But he's got those heavy hands; he can get steals down low, he can make plays from the elbows. We kind of know what small ball Thad looks like. We did get a little look at small ball Scotty, though, running with Dennis Schroeder, OG Gary Trent Jr., and Pascal Siakam in a lineup that basically mirrors what they ran last season with Fred Van Vliet as one of their most used lineups in place of Dennis Schroeder. Um, I think that lineup probably has a bit more defensive juice just because, you know, Schroeder's a better defender at this point than Fred was last season. Um, but I do think the sort of upside of that lineup is engaged by what Scotty can do as a role man. And I think we saw a couple instances where it's pretty exciting. In particular, Pascal Siakam runs a pick and roll with Scotty Barnes in the second quarter, rejects the screen, Scotty rolls, hits Scotty with a lob and he dunks it down. And like that is really exciting stuff. I I, I think, you know, obviously teams are going to defend that differently than the Cairns type hands did for sure. And probably more effectively, but uh, I think it kind of gives you a glimpse of what a small ball Scotty at the five look can do for you as the, as a Raptors team. And I think we're going to see a lot of that. We should see a lot of that. You know, Darko Ryakovich has talked about Scotty Barnes being good at a lot of different things. And that is probably the thing he's been best at in his career mostly as like a guy who can kind of survey from the middle of the floor, make the decision whether to pass or go score. But if he can just be a straight roll threat and, and score, you know, throwing down lobs or, or, or kind of just having vertical gravity, that's huge. And that's a different element than the Raptors have had from the center position in a while. And I think in general, you know, you throw in Precious Achua as a spot start, as a spot center at times, even though I think he's better suited on the wings. I think we're going to see him at the five a little bit this year. Um, and I think like, the thing that stands out to me from the preseason is this team's going to have more ways to play than they did under Nick Nurse last season, where they essentially kind of, before the Yaka Pirtle trade, had one way to play. And when they got Yaka Pirtle, they had like two ways to play just because there were so few players in the trusted circle of guys for Nick Nurse that they just didn't have a whole lot of variability. Everyone being quote-unquote versatile meant they weren't versatile at all. And I think... This year, there are some very different skill sets and varying things that guys can do in, compliment, in complimenting other players within the rotation that I think there's just going to be way more different ways for this Raptors team to play, different types of lineups to roll out. And I think for me, the big takeaway from this one was that, you know, they might have some pretty interesting, fun options at unconventional backup center uh, that really kind of breathe a lot of life and sort of interesting different quirks and variabilities of lineups into this team that I'm pretty pretty keen on uh with that we're going to move into a thing that I think is going to be a clear mandate for this team based on what we've seen so far what we really saw in the first half last night against Cairns this team's going to run and it could be really 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 good at it we'll get into that in just a second here but first, I got to tell you about our friends over at Game Time, who right now, as the sports calendar really ramps up, are an app you absolutely got to have on your phone if you are at all interested in going to see sporting events. Typically, there's a lot of guesswork, right? Which app is going to have the best price? How do I go and compare? I'm worried about losing these seats, and while I'm searching for more from a different site, don't worry anymore. Game Time is the place to go because they are going to give you the lowest prices guaranteed because of the Game Time Guarantee, which means you're always going to get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section in a row for less on a different site, Game Time will credit you with 110% 
of the difference. So that means there's no reason not to use game time for your last minute ticket needs. You know, you can get tickets right up until the start of the event, even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last minute seats. You can also get them well in advance as well. And you're going to get great deals. You can find exclusive flash deals and sponsor deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, hockey, and more. With zone deals, you pick the section and game time will pick the seats for you for an average of 18% savings as well. Take the guesswork out of... Uh, Take the guesswork that is out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create a code, use the code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the redeem code Locked On NBA L O C K E D O N N B A for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, continuing on here, your first listen of the day. Digging into the Toronto Raptors game against the Cairns Taipans, which, again, you know, we're not pulling tons of takeaways from this. It's a little bit of a bummer that we're now, what, 10 days into the preseason and we have exactly one game from which to glean things. I know there's been talk uh, sort of passed along from likes of Eric Kareen, who's been around the team all through camp, about how Dark Ryakovich is actually thrilled with all the practice time not being interrupted by games. That's that's nice. Uh, but for me, give me them sweet, sweet games with the sweet, sweet takeaways and things to overreact to, please. Uh, we haven't quite had those, but there will be a couple more games on tap this week, which is uh, exciting. I think Chicago and Washington close out the preseason schedule for the Raptors Tuesday and Friday. Um, so hopefully we get a little bit more in terms of concrete stuff to pull away from those games. But if there is something to be pulled away from this game against Cairns, I think it was very much on display in the first half, particularly the first quarter, where this team seems as though it's coming into the year with a clear mandate to run like maniacs off of every defensive rebound all the time. And I think that's great. I think that is a counter to a couple of things. One, the sort of turnover difference that I expect we'll see in terms of turnovers forced by the Raptors this season compared to last year. I think there's going to be a more conservative defensive scheme. Yes, there will still be steals and probably a good number of them, probably upper half of the league just because of the length this team has and the defensive talent they have. But I don't think the steals are going to necessarily be manufactured via gimmick defense as much as they were last year. And they're going to be a little bit more than the natural flow. Whereas I think the main way by which this Raptors team is going to get out on the run is off of collecting defensive rebounds. And they're going to be very good at that, right? I think with Yaka Pirtle on the team in particular, this is going to be one of the best defensive rebounding teams in basketball. It seems as though there's going to be a focus on that. Darko Ryakovic talked on Media Day about the sort of a very intentional focus on the defensive glass as a counter to what he perceives is going to be a burgeoning trend or a continuing trend of teams really hammering the offensive glass to try to carve out easy, easy points on putbacks. You know, the Raptors, of course, no secret, no, not, not unfamiliar with that whole concept over the last couple of years. And so I think 
the way this team is going to board on, on the defensive glass and the way they just have dudes who either via Jakob Pertl making quick passes after collecting rebounds because he's a good playmaker, good passer, he's got a head on a, sw- head on a swivel, or you have guys like Scotty or Dennis Schroeder or Pascal Siakam, sometimes OG, just grabbing and going, this team is going to run as much as they possibly can. And, you know, they ran a lot last year, no doubt. They were number five in the league last year in terms of possession or percentage of possessions that were considered transition possessions per NBA.com at 18.6%. It's very high. Uh, I kind of think they're going to even outshoot that this year, even without all the steals they force. And it's because it seems like there's a very clear directive to run like maniacs off of every single collected defensive rebound in order to give them a shot at setting up quick offense. Even if it's not, you know, a straight transition run to the end of the floor, like semi-transition is still a better place to be than going up against a fully set and ready to go opposing defense. And the way Scotty Barnes looked kind of orchestrating this early in this game, there were like back-to-back plays where uh, he picked out uh, OG Ananobi and Dennis Schroeder on transition passes. And it's like, okay, like, this is the plan. It's going to be Pascal and Scotty, and the rest of the crew is either going to be running to the rim in the form of Chris Boucher or staggering to the corners to catch wide-open three-point looks as the defenders are sucked in by the immense gravity of a driving Pascal Siakam or Scotty Barnes. And look, again, it's against the Cairns Taipans. There's only so much you can really glean from it, but I do think it was pretty clear that this is going to be the MO for the Raptors offense this season. Yeah, it'll be nice to get into the half-court offense where you're making passes and cuts and off-ball movement and all of that, but I kind of think playing in the half-court is going to be option B to most possessions, option A being run like hell and try to score real quick and get back on defense and try to do it again. Like, I, I think... That makes sense as a way that this team is going to play because there are still going to be offensive limitations in the half court. Uh, And I think if you can kind of even nudge that 18.6% up a little bit more, can you get up to 20%, 22? Can you threaten with like all-time records of amount of possessions in transition? It's going to go a long way towards dragging up that offensive rating because we know the half court is going to be a slog just because of the lack of spacing. Even if the process is a little more sound and there's more ball movement, like I've said, there's going to be a lot more ball movement. I do think we run the risk of seeing a lot of possessions that are just like 20 seconds of beautiful ball movement that don't really produce a ton of great shots. And, you know, the way to counter that is to run like hell and score before your opposing team can get set on defense. And I think there's a player here who's going to be really important to that. And I think it's Dennis Schroeder. Um, obviously, I've talked about this last year. You know, even with Fred Van Vliet, you know, kind of, I think... Um, you know, the thing with Fred is he's not a very good transition player, right? And I think he also kind of takes away some of your transition possessions because he is like a typical sort of walk it up, run your offense type of point guard, which is, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, they got a lot of good stuff out of that, especially when Jakob Pertl was around. There was a reason to play that sort of more half court centered offense with him in the back part of the season. But for the most part, you know, I, I think him orchestrating the odd transition possession led to not being very good on a per possession basis. Like the Raptors, you would think, oh, they're this marauding transition team. They're probably going to be really high as far as efficiency goes in transition. And that just wasn't true. They were right smack dab in the middle, 48th, 49th percentile. In the league per NBA.com, they at 1.14 points per possession uh, were like dead in the middle. The top team was 1.21, the bottom team was 1.07. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think Fred Van Vliet's existence really kind of, you know, took away some of the effectiveness 
of the transition game, both in terms of volume and effectiveness on a per possession basis. Dennis Schroeder's in that spot now. And, you know, a couple things, he's going to be involved in a couple ways here, right? Like he's very fast. He's, he's eager to get the ball down the floor. He's eager to get into offense quick. That's good. Uh, but I mostly think what's going to be a real bellwether of this Raptors transition game if he's going to start, which it seems like at this point is what's going to happen. You know, I would like to see the starting lineup with Gary Trent Jr. in there just to get a look before the preseason's out. But it seems as though Schroeder's locking up that starting point guard job. And a big part of what he's going to have to do, if in fact Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam are tasked with running the lion's share of the transition possessions for this team, is he's going to have to hit catch and shoot threes. He's going to have to dot around, offer that space, and you know get to those spots really quickly. You know, sprint down the floor, get to the corner, be an outlet, and he's going to have to hit those shots. His career is pretty checkered in terms of his history of being a catch and shoot three point shooter. He's had more success there than as a pull up guy, where. Basically, every year of his career, he's been sub 20% on low volume as a pull-up three-point shooter. That's just not something he's ever going to do. But he has had some dalliances with decent catch-and-shoot numbers in the past. Um, You know, last season with LA, 35.1% on 2.8 attempts a game. That's fine. That'll do. Like that, It's not like going to blow your socks off or anything like that, but it's fine. 2022, 34.1% on 2.8, not so great. 2021, 33.6% on 3.8 catch and shoots a game. That's not very good. The year you're hoping he can bottle is the year that, you know, has been talked about a lot. 2019-20 with the OKC Thunder, that super fun team with Chris Paul, Shea, and Dennis Schroeder kind of running things as a three-guard unit. And Dennis Schroeder was a really good catch and shoot player that season. 41.4%. On 3.6 attempts a game. Do I think he's going to do that again? No. It's such a high watermark for his career that it feels like an outlier. And expecting anyone to replicate an outlier is kind of unfair. But if he can be 35, 36, 37% on catch and shoots, that's going to give the potency to this you know transition attack that they need. Right? They're going to need dudes who can finish those threes that are created by the driving of Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam. And I think... You know, if Schroeder can do that, then the starting five makes some sense because he's going to help feed into the defense of this team. He's going to make it so they force more misses and therefore get out running more often. And if he can knock down those threes as a catch-and-shoot guy, things get really, really interesting for that starting lineup because their half-court offensive issues become a little bit less of an obvious albatross concern. If he's not doing that, then I do think you'll start to see the calls for Gary Trent Jr., to slide in there. And it's honestly why I think I want to see Gary Trent Jr. start to begin with is he's just a better catch and shoot guy. He's one of the best catch and shoot guys there is. And if you have him and OG staggered around as Scotty and Pascal are orchestrating the break, I think that's pretty interesting and really hard for defenses to figure out, really hard for defenses to account for everything when they're getting back in a rush, in a panic in transition. And I think Gary Trent Jr. just carries a little bit more potency in those lineups. But Again, if Schroeder can do it at a reasonable level, then I think it justifies him being out there. It's going to be a big, again, sort of bellwether for how this this offense runs in transition. And I think, like, you know, pretty thrilled about the whole Scotty grabbing and going and running and sort of running all the time thing, right? This was the thing last year. The conditioning wasn't there. We did not see him operate as like a routine, every possession. He's looking and trying to go as quick as he can. Um, this time around, 
uh, it seems like he's got the conditioning. It seems like, again, he has the directive and the green light from the, the coaching staff to make stuff happen when he collects rebounds. And I love watching him pass, especially in the open court. It's the thing he probably does the best. And I think you get a lot of cool stuff out of it. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of, again, takeaways, hard to pull from this game. But for me, the proof that they are going to run like madmen was very much on display in a game where they forced Cairns into miss- missing a whole lot of shots and allowing them many opportunities to go and run. We'll come back on the other side. We will get into the good, the bad, and the hmm to quickly round out today's show. Before we do that, however, today's show is brought to you by Better Help. Look, therapy is something that a lot of people can benefit from. It doesn't mean you have to have been through serious you know, or, or awful trauma in order to benefit. Obviously, that helps and, and can certainly, um, therapy can be a way to navigate through really bad things that have happened, but it can also be a way to be a guide for you to make the decisions that you want to know that align with your values, that you are making the right calls. You know, you, what should you do with this career fork in the road you've reached? Therapy can help you talk through those tough decisions and make it so you're making an informed decision based on who you are as a person, what you value. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, you should do it with better help. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. It's a huge thing. If you don't have the right therapist, it's not going to sink in for you, but you can switch until you find the right person for you with BetterHelp. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnNBA. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we'll round out the show here with the good, the bad, and the hmm from the Toronto Raptors. 134-93 win over the Cairns Taipans last night. Uh, The good for me here, look, I've given this guy a lot of crap. And I still am not terribly high on his upside, but really nice game from Malachi Flynn. 10 points. He hit two of his three threes, four seven overall, four assists, three boards. Um, Look, again, I'm not like a big Malachi Flynn guy. People who listen to this podcast every day know I kind of don't think he should be in the rotation. And I don't think I put the sort of blame at Nick Nurse's feet for the lack of minutes Malachi Flynn was perceived to have gotten the last few years because I just don't think when he was on the floor, he ever did a whole lot to garner more minutes outside of one or two brief stretches here and there. Um, And so I kind of came into this year thinking they're not going to get a whole lot out of Flynn. It's the last year of his rookie deal. They don't seem to be all that committed to him going forward. Maybe this is just kind of like a quiet swan song for Malachi Flynn with Toronto, but 
If he's going to hit threes, there's a place for him in the rotation somewhere on a team that doesn't have a whole lot of guard depth. I think there's a place there. Look, do I want to see Malachi Flynn running a bunch of pick and rolls? No. Do I think there will almost always be an option on the floor who's better suited to doing that, whether it's Schroeder, whether it's Pascal, whether it's Scotty Barnes? Absolutely, I do. But if he can be a catch-and-shoot guy who can offer some decent point-of-attack defense, which he's had moments of doing in the past, then there's an 11th man there. And that's fine. Like that, that, Not everybody can be amazing. Everyone's got to kind of find their niche. And the niche for Malachi Flynn could just be guy who comes in and hits a couple of threes that are just gravy for you, right? Like all these teams, so many teams around the league find success just by getting a couple of guys here and there who can chip in a couple of triples when they come to them within the flow of the offense. And that can make or break a four-minute stretch of bench minutes, just having a couple guys who can hit those threes when you're not really asking them to do a whole lot more. Look, the career numbers for Flynn are bad, really, really bad. Uh, Not a good shooter from basically anywhere on the floor, sub-50% true shooting. He's not been a good NBA player through three seasons, but if he's going to get some run, if he's going to get a little bit more emboldened by Darko Ryakovich, and if he's going to have that quick trigger when it comes to him, none of this, you know, okay, maybe I reset, maybe I, you know, pass it along to the next guy, maybe I pump fake and kind of, you know, overthink it and think myself out of taking this shot. If he can just let it fly, there could be a place for Malachi Flynn. I thought he was good last night. He looked pretty sound. Um, you know, I didn't love him in the first preseason game. He was, in fact, my bad in the first preseason game. But, uh, you know, you got to give credit where it's due. He was good in this game, and it was encouraging to see. The bad, look, I don't have a ton of bad from, like, the players who played in this game. I, I think, you know, you could quibble and say, ah, Grady Dick didn't look so great. He's missing his shots. I'm not worried about Grady Dick hitting threes. He does everything else really nicely. He made a couple passes on the run. He moves away from the ball beautifully. Uh, He gets open for a lot of shots. Uh, I think they're going to fall for Grady Dick. Not so concerned. The bad for me, really? Do we got to do these games against NBL teams? I know it sounds like kind of a a curmudgeon, like a grump, but like, I don't really understand what's in it for anybody. Like, I get it's like a big deal for the NBL sides. You get the NBA exposure and all of that, but... Like, is it worth the, whatever it is, 17-hour flight from Australia and the weeks of jet lag to play two preseason games against NBA teams that may or may not really care only to lose by 40-plus and then fly back home all jet lagged? Like, I don't know, man. (laughs) It's just, again, it's a global game. That's good. Expand the game and the reach and all this stuff. But for me, if I'm like a head coach... I probably want the preseason game to have like a little bit more resistance for my team just to like tell a little bit more about what's going on, realize some adjustments. Like I don't really know how useful the film session from the game against the Cairns Taipans will be as this was a team that didn't have any NBA talent save for Alfred Payton on emergency duty. Shout out Alfred Payton. Nice to see him. Um, but I, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I'm like, you can tell me if I'm being a grouch about this. I, I just don't see the utility for anybody in these games. And I, it just feels to me like, again, we've been watching preseason games for 10 days now. We have one real game of sample for the Raptors. And I'm not someone who thinks the preseason is even all that meaningful anyway. But you have to think from a coaching staff perspective, you want a little bit more in terms of like concrete things you can evaluate. And I just don't really think you get that from a game against the Karens Taipans where you win by 41 and don't play your starters in the second half. 
but that's just me. I'm sure it's fun for everybody, all that stuff. But um, I just like, I don't really get the point. <laughs> um, let's go to the hmm to round it out. And uh, it seems as though Jeff Doughton Jr. is not really in the plans for this team. He came in, he played uh, eight minutes in the fourth quarter of this game. He was perfect from the field. Nice nice to see, three of three. Uh, had a couple boards and assists, plus 16 in his minutes as uh, they really pulled away late in this one. But doesn't seem like he's a big part of the plans. And I know everybody loves Jeff Doughton Jr. I like Jeff Doughton Jr. I got nothing against the guy whatsoever. I think he's a nice player. I don't know if it's like a bad thing that he's not in the plans for this team. And hear me out. Like, I don't think the team is starving for deep bench sort of emergency guard help. Yeah, like, you know, Malachi Flynn being your only legible backup point guard behind, uh, you know, behind... Dennis Schroeder, that's not great, right? Like, it's not perfect. If Schroeder goes down, you're going to be in a world of hurt, probably. But if you're talking about what this team needs, again, I don't think it is sort of 13th, 14th, 15th man guard depth because they kind of have that in the form of their two ways already. You have Marquise Noel, who I think is mostly going to play 905 and kind of be the orchestrator for that team, which is going to be very useful. I think Javon Freeman Liberty, nice game last night, 7 of 11, ran the floor really well. I like his game a little bit. You know, I think he's probably just like a higher upside version of Jeff Doughton at that position. You have Ron Harper Jr., who I know a lot, not a lot of people are super high on. He has like some guard skills to speak of. I guess he's more of like a, a weird sort of tweener forward type with a little playmaking to him in kind of like the ideal world. But again, I just like don't think this team is screaming out for a player of Jeff Doughton Jr.'s archetype because there are plenty of like very good defensive players on this team who can kind of play the two guard. It's not like Jeff Doughton's coming in and running point for you, even in the worst case scenario. He's just not someone who's going to run a ton of possessions for you at any point as an NBA player. And if he's going to be more of a two guard, a sort of a defensive two guard, I would rather guys who have a little bit more shooting juice to them, like Jalen McDaniels, Grady Dick, obviously Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi can spot time at that spot. And, you know, I just don't see, like, if Dennis Schroeder goes down, I don't see how Jeff Dowden's the answer. I just kind of think they go Scotty Barnes and Malachi Flynn. And as much as I'm not a fan of Malachi Flynn's game overall, I think an idealized version of Flynn, where he's doing what I just kind of laid out, hitting threes and doing some, like, decent on-ball defense on guards, like, that's, I think, a more effective player than Jeff Dowden, who is a very good defensive player, good one-on-one guy, but he's not giving you ton on a ton offensively, right? He's not a very aggressive player. He's not seeking out his own shot, making defense have to worry about what he's doing. He's also just not been a three-point shooter in his career. You know, just 25 games in the NBA, but he shot 31% from three. He's never really had like a, a notable catch-and-shoot game to speak of. And I think on this team, that is the type of skill set that there's just already too much of, right? Like guys who aren't great shooters, who are good defenders, like they, they're spoiled with that. I think they need a little bit more offensive punch. And frankly, I think Javon Freeman Liberty probably offers that more than Jeff Doughton Jr. does at this point. And yeah, I kind of just think that's the way they'll go. And, and, you know, they'll have to release somebody for Doughton to make the team. He's on a non-guaranteed deal. Um, Doesn't seem like Garrett Temple is going anywhere. He played a little last night. It's fun. It's cool. Whatever. I'm not worried about the 15th man, really. Like, 15th men don't play (laughs) unless horrible things have happened. And so, like... I know there's this whole Jeff Doughton's like this developmental piece. They can do something with him. They've invested so much time. They haven't really. Like, he's been a two-way guy. 
He has played a little bit in the NBA, not done a ton. He's had some moments here and there. He's had some flashes defensively, but I just kind of think for what this team needs, Jeff Doughton Jr. is not really it. And so I don't think he's going to make this team. I don't think that's like something to be too up in arms about, even though I know that's going to be a thing that people are up in arms about. Well, anyway, I'll leave it there. Uh, we'll see. Obviously, two more games for all this to play out. We'll see how the roster shakes out, any cuts and anything like that we'll obviously talk about here on the show. Come back tomorrow. Vivek Jacob will be along. Not sure what we're going to dig into yet, but probably something big picture and fun. Uh, and then, of course, we've got uh, more preseason action this week to talk about and get ready for the season. We'll have our over-under special coming up very soon as well. Joseph Cacharo from the Score and the Power of the Rock podcast is going to be on next week to do bold predictions. It's going to be a great little week plus leading us into the NBA season here on the podcast. And thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe, follow, rate, review, tell a friend. It's always appreciated when you support the show any way you choose to do so. Uh, we're on Instagram at Lockdown Raptors. I'm on Twitter at Woodley Sean. And of course, the Discord link is in the description. Come hang out. We'd love to see you in the Discord server with the more than 220 sickos who have already made it their little home for the season to come. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for hanging. We'll talk to you Tuesday. Bye bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.